and welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. This is episode 79 for some day during the week that I can't recall what it is anymore. The important thing is we are back and with another episode and another special guest. In this show, we welcome to our virtual rally pub, Super Motorsports USA's co-driver and all-around awesome motorsports guy, Robbie Durant. This is the Rallycast. I'm your host, Mike Shaw, and with me, still staying required six feet away, well, six feet away, um, about 2,000 miles away, is my co-host, Ian Holmes from the Prairies. How are you doing, Ian? Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, good morning, Mike. I know it uh, seems really strange saying good morning to you, but uh, you say that you don't know what day of the week it is. I mean, let's face it, we don't even know what time of day it is right now. As our guest is in the UK, it's morning it's morning for both you and I, so there's no beer for us today. I mean, I've got to run some errands after this, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably only just had your breakfast. Uh, breakfast right now is just coffee. Lots of it. Uh, breakfast will be after the show, but yeah, yeah. Um, definitely mornings, but you know, I, I was tempted. I was tempted to make a Bloody Mary or something like that, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, the Rallycast morning edition. There we go. <laughs> pubs, you know, there's, they do some great breakfasts, I hear. Uh huh. I yeah. often don't go yeah. to pubs in the morning, but I, I, well, I've been to a couple, uh-huh. I think, that have, uh, had morning stuff and, uh, yeah. Hey, get some steak and eggs and a Bloody Mary or something yep. like that. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah. It sounds good to me, yeah. But if you <laughs> don't like pubs in the morning, just think of it as the uh, rally, the, the virtual rally coffee shop. There we go. <laughs> there you go. I've, I've got my latte and I'm happy. <laughs> Excellent. Well, without further ado, we want to bring on our special guest who is all the way from the UK. So we'll be right back with Robbie Durant. Well, as I said in our intro, all the way from the UK, we welcome to the Open Paddock Rally Pub. Well, I guess it's coffee shop, as Ian said, um, because it's the morning over here. Mr. Robbie Durant, co-driver to Travis Pastrana. Robbie, welcome to the Open Paddock Rallycast. Good morning, uh, Mike and Ian. How are you doing? I'll say morning because it is for for you over there on the West Coast and very much middle of the afternoon for us here in uh, the UK. Well, it is a splendid morning over here. I'm on uh, coffee number two, but hey, I do have to say, I did wear pants for you, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could have said whatever, as it were, over the phone, it's not not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know, with this lockdown thing, I've been actually kind of forcing myself to have those routines and whatnot, like. I still get up and take a shower, even though I'm not going anywhere, you know, try and just do my routine that I'd normally do for work. And I find it just makes me more productive throughout the day, even though today I did take a day off. So, um, so, so that's been good. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you got to definitely keep those routines in place. Uh, you've been trying to do the same. Yeah, absolutely. I think as you, as you say, things can, uh, things can go downhill pretty quickly if we don't uh, do these things. Uh, daily or weekly or whatever it is but uh, I hear it's things like uh, things that you don't think about uh, haircuts and this kind of stuff that that uh, you can't get at the moment in this weird time mm-hmm. but if that's as bad as it gets then we're, we're fortunate I guess it's uh, it's a tough time for everybody but um, we're just trying to trying to stay safe and uh, think and, uh, and and plan about events and uh, future future goings on but not actually take part just yet 
Well, normally we start off the show talking about what we're drinking, but uh, I already said mine, and I'm just having coffee, so nothing all that exciting here. But uh, it is a local uh, place that uh, does these beans, so I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy about that. Uh, Longbottom. Um, so there we go. So there we go. A little plug for them. Uh, they make a really good coffee that's not too dark. I'm getting tired of all these, like, super dark French roast burnt coffee things. I'm like, medium or light roast, folks. I want to taste the coffee, not char. Uh, <laughs> Ian, you, you said you're having a latte. You're going fancy on us. Huh? Yeah, yeah. This is this is the this is one of the this is one of the positive things about um, being locked down. You know, it's like you know, usually if I'm going for coffee and on the way into work in the morning, it's t- pull up at Starbucks and grab whatever I've got. But now, yeah. I can use the local, the local coffee shops. I, I'm trying now, in in all, all this lockdown business, trying to use as many of the local businesses as I, I as I can because they uh, they need they need our support more than anything. So so yeah, I've got a nice tall latte from Mocha Monkey over in um, in St Bonifacius, just down the road from me. So they're keeping me going through these dark times as well. And Ian, where's where's home for you? Where are you at the moment? I'm on the prairies of Minnesota, a small, just outside of about an hour out of west of Minneapolis. So. Ah, okay. We know, we know that area a little bit, I guess, having uh, having the rally up there yeah. every year. Yeah. Yes. The uh, yeah, Ojibwe is my it's my local rally. It's my local rally. It's only like it's about a three or four hour drive up to uh, up oh. to uh, Detroit Lakes. Uh, just a just a fingernail's width on the map of uh, of, of America. <laughs> That's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and about uh, if I go, I was I always talk about this with people from uh, larger countries, shall we say? Um, if I go about an hour in any direction except north, I'm getting wet. <laughs> wow, yeah, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's you're in you're in this we're in the sea. If I go north, I can go a bit further, but yeah, yeah. southwest or east, it's uh, we're at the coast pretty much, pretty much from here. So, yeah. middle of the country, but it's not not a big place. Yeah, and I come from. I was born and bred in Lincolnshire, Mablethorpe in Lincolnshire, and that's okay. on the yeah. east coast. And Lincolnshire's roads are they're wonderful road rally roads, actually. Sure. Uh, they've got a lot of like twisty, windy roads over the walls and stuff like that and if i go if i dr- drive for an hour you know it's like 45 miles tops but if i drive yeah. for an hour around here you know i can cover like 60 70 miles because the road yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah, dead great shot you know everywhere so and both and both have got their uh got their features should we say <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know one thing we always start out with is well, how did you get your start in, well, just motorsports in general? Because I know you do some stuff outside of rallying as well. Yeah, that's right. I mean, south of, south of England, and particularly this sort of motorsport corridor, they call it, from uh, almost from sort of north of London that runs runs down towards Bristol, really. And it's uh, it's a small space with lots of different race teams, motorsport engineering firms, infrastructure behind motorsport. And I guess I grew up right in the middle of it um although none of my family were involved whatsoever um which is always slightly odd people are like it's always a family introduction i was like well it wasn't for me it was a good friend of mine who we you know i still good friends with and uh we kind of met when we were what four or five years old and his family were crazy into into race and rally and all sorts of things and 
they had a, a bit of space, a bit of land, and, and we were riding ATVs and dirt bikes and go-karts and anything that would move with an engine when we were, I don't know, younger than I care to remember. <laughs> and uh, he, he started ATV racing um, quad bikes when he, I don't know, 10 or 11, and I would go along and then did a couple of small events, and then he moved into go-karts quite seriously, and then I'd go along and help and you know, pretend I knew what I was doing and do some timing and helping out the events. And, and then, you know, he kind of school comes and, you know, these things arrive like girls and parties and all those kinds of things that you do at weekends. And and then I got a phone call out the blue and it was this friend of mine and he said, I I bought a rally car. All right. Okay. That sounds interesting. He said, there's two seats. So I've put your name down and, uh, (laughs) and we never looked back. (laughs) And actually, I was, as we all do, clearing out, you know, bits and pieces that that come with you on various house moves and things you get in storage and then you get them out of storage and going through some paperwork and old trophies and all sorts of things. And my first event, I think it must have been around autumn or fall in 2000. So coming up 20 years ago. Wow. So that's definitely a little while. Um, So rallying was then your first uh, motorsport that you got involved in then? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it, it. as I say, growing up when there's motorsport around me, it was, uh, you know, friends at school and their families or parents were involved with race teams or working for race teams or knew somebody. I remember, you know, in the town I grew up in and you'd walk through town and I'd notice these jackets, you know, it'd be Benetton F1 or Williams or Pro Drive or, and there'd just be the odd jacket here or there. And I just thought that was normal. And then, you know, everyone, every town has, you know, a load of motorsport people. And then of course you leave, you know, you go half an hour in the other direction or you you, move, you go and visit some friends in a different town and you don't see that stuff. You do you do now with the rise of memorabilia mm-hmm. and, you know, copy, replica, equipped team kit and what have you. But back then, you just didn't see it. And and uh, I, I always thought that was quite... I remember, you know, looking at those old jackets thinking, oh, they're, they're really cool and grabbing my eye. And and uh, and then, yeah, that, that rally really was the first introduction, the single venue events, which um, I'm not sure they run too many of in the US but the kind of rallies that don't have um, transits or road sections so it'll be a, an army base or a private um, forest or something where you can do everything that a rally would do but without going on the public highway um, which is a really good way to start because you don't have to worry about you know navigating on the road and the timing on the road you're just learning learning what goes into a rally and how to do it and how to avoid the ditches and the trees and all the rest of it as a sort of introductory step so so that was that was great there's quite a few of those in the uk as still are um and yeah and then from then on it was um straight into into work life which was uh f1 initially i kind of started started got thrown in at the deep end um with an apprenticeship with an f1 team five miles maybe six miles from home and uh and yeah we're again never looked back oh that there are some of us that would say that having an apprenticeship in a, a Formula One company would be uh, would be a dream job. I mean, it sounds sounds amazing. I mean, what what were what were uh, what were your duties? What did you actually do? Yeah, so there were there were a few that the apprenticeships were running in tandem with a uh, with technical college, mm-hmm. not far from home, half an hour or whatever. And I applied for one of the spots, went along. I had to go to the it was Arrows Arrows Formula One. Um, who are now long, long gone, unfortunately. Long gone, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, went there in must have been back end of '99, something like this. Guys, showing showing my age now, and uh, went along and bright-eyed, 17, 18 year old, whatever. 
right, what, I, I had no idea how these teams worked and what they functioned as and, and who who the jobs went to and who did what. But all I knew was it was it was cool and it was great fun and I'd been watching it on TV and I knew a bit about it and technically minded in a way and off we went yeah. and had a chat. Um, and they didn't outline too much. They just said, this is the structure. It's a three-year sort of apprenticeship. You're going to do some work at the college and then you'll come to work sort of four days a week at the college a day, whatever. And uh, we'll let you know. And then sure enough, a few weeks later, a letter comes through and goes, you've got a spot and we'll see you in September. And uh, so initially it was uh, basically as many, many jobs are, I'm sure. It's like, right, on you go, on you go, on your way. And you're in at the deep end. And uh, yeah, I got a chance to um, look at or work with a few of the different departments, manufacturing mm-hmm. departments within within the team. Um, and then that was sort of for the first year. And then for the final two years, I was I could choose which department I wanted to work in. And that that wow. for me was the electrical side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, I kind of said, well, I know nothing about electronics, but I got an idea. I think I might enjoy learning about this. And doing yeah. it and being involved and and yeah, there we are. Yeah, it almost sounds in a way like 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 the old days. I mean, Mike tags me as Mister Historic, and uh, I'm interested <laughs> in Lanterac. the history of the yeah the, the whole sport. And it's it sounds to me like like it's still like in a way it was still like the old days. I'm thinking of uh, Norman Jewis at uh, Jaguar who like joined Jaguar as an apprenticeship, and by the time he left. By the time he left Jag, I mean he was as like the chief designer and uh, yes, or, yeah. or whatever he was. So do you do you ever think you could, if you'd stuck at it, that you could have, um, if rally and other things hadn't come in the way, do you think that you could have risen to the risen to the giddy heights of uh, being being the, in in charge of a Formula One team? Well, you're you're right in, in in a way that actually the teams used to be structured very differently they're now and they have been for a long time certainly the big teams are, are very much like um reasonably big companies they're structured i'm going to say properly which is a bit unfair to, to you know to everybody but they're structured as a, a big company would be and they have all the mechanics and the goings on of what you imagine a big company to be but that isn't always the way um you know just 15 20 years ago they were smallish teams of people all pushing very hard in the same direction all doing lots of different roles to get the cars out and on the grid and um that now isn't isn't the case you know a lot of the the management of f1 teams come from elsewhere they come from other forms of business they um, the team bosses move across either from different sports or and they and they need the diversity but but years ago you know the i could tell you two or three of the team man current team managers now in f1 started out as you know, gearbox mechanics or uh, mm-hmm. a lot of them are, are still uh, the guys that were in the in that heyday in the early 90s with the, the red five in Mansell and on Senna's cars and all this kind of thing and you hear the stories from them and, and when I started that was that was amazing I could have listened to that all day long but you're right there, were, there certainly was a um, there was a pathway within the teams that, that you could you know if you stuck at it and eight days a week and all the rest of it you could you could really do well and uh, a lot of the guys a lot of the guys did um for instance the the i remember the head of strategy at, at red bull back in back when i was there uh, 10 years ago was was my age at the time you know late 20s and he was winning world championships for them as the head of strategy you know and that was because he worked hard and and put the hours in and and, and it paid off so it's c- certainly possible mm-hmm. yeah it's it's it surprises me when you say that this was still going on as late as the the 1990s because i i kind of like feel that that was 
that was like when it really when the emphasis really changed was with 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 the motorsport how things got bigger bigger and more organized but uh that you you that, that it was still going on back then kind of like amazes me a little bit yeah i think i think so i mean it obviously wasn't an overnight change as as as, as we know and we've seen these the fans of the sport as we all are or motorsport in general have seen these these big race teams, certainly the ones you can follow nowadays on social media, but years ago by going along to events or watching to, on TV or reading in the various press that we used to pick up, um, you could see it from the outside. And and a lot of the smaller teams in, were, were similar, but didn't get the spotlight. So, you know, the, the team manager was also the guy that was booking the flights and is also the guy that possibly was driving the truck and making the decisions on the pit wall on a Sunday afternoon. And and that's a little bit actually the role of a co-driver in a way. You're you're picking up all those um, auxiliary roles within a team. Um, mm. And when you start off in a small team, as is always the way, or even two or three of you, um, you're picking up all those separate roles and learning all those skills that actually you never knew you'd have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> and and well well done that man for steering this the subject back to back to rally because that's what we want <laughs> talking about. But yeah, you, I do get a little bit sidetracked when we start talking about the history of motorsport. But there uh, you go. We all do. So, we all do. Yes, <laughs> indeed. So let's yeah let's get back back to rally. I mean, you started rallying in um, but what, what did you say 2000 2001. And yeah, so, yeah. so I, I'm looking at I'm looking at the list of cars on on the EWRC results, and we can talk about those in a talk. We can talk about some of those later. But uh, so you st- you started in 2000 2001. When did you first come to America? Uh gosh, trick question, I guess. No, so I think it must have been the very end of O five um so fast forward a little bit to, to that year and i'd done the uh, peugeot 206 super cup here in the uk uh fiercely competitive one make series of the of the peugeot 206s and uh that was with johnny wigmore who i who i started rallying with and we won that series that year and we got to the end of the year and at this point I'm just trying to think back as we speak, really. My father had recently moved to the US and I was going to visit in the fall of that year or towards the end of that year, actually to Boston on the East Coast, a, a town I, I really enjoy spending time in. And um, and I thought, you know what, there must be a rally on somewhere. There must be something. I'll go and I'll do some research or go and have a look or maybe maybe there's something I can go and look at. And um, long story short, I ended up co-driving in uh, Rally New York with uh, with Dave Anton from the East Coast in a in a Subaru. So from, from my sort of humble research as to there must be a rally on, next thing I know, I'm I'm on the start line. <laughs> and of course, in 2005, you didn't you know just uh, post an inquiry on Facebook <laughs> to say, hey, is there a rally on? Somebody need a co-driver. Correct. It was a little bit more challenging, I'm sure, to uh, a find the event that was going to be around that same time and then find a driver to work with yeah it was it was all very very strange i um and this it all ties in together actually when when i talk about it i kind of i forget the links until you until someone asks but exactly so so i was looking for something on the east coast maybe i could maybe an hour or two from boston you know the chances of it happening are mm-hmm. you know one in a million but there we go i found out about the event and then i thought well I, and there was a, a basic website i think and there was the special stage forum that many of us will remember i wasn't particularly active on it but i soon got to got to know of its existence 
and um i looked on there and then i found out about this event and then i i think i must i think perhaps dave even put a wanted post out and said oh, i'm looking for a co-driver and mm-hmm. i thought well what the hell so i sent him a message and and then at this point um uh, it was literally like oh, you're gonna be here i was like i'm gonna be there and i can drive i'll have transport and i can meet you there and 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 we figured out a plan <laughs> and it, again one in a million really that it happened to yeah. all line up but it did and we and we went on and i think i don't think either of us did anything too too crazy i think we finished the event and um i still get along with dave and i believe he's still working in, in the sport or in, in a shop on the east coast and and that was that that was my u.s introduction so i mean i guess at this point you won a, a one make championship. So, are you like okay? This is my future. Is a, a competitive co driving at that point, or are you still also still doing the other motorsports? Uh, you know, again, your engineering background and and uh, you know working on the the electronic stuff and whatnot uh, at the same time. Yeah, it's running tandem until this to this day. It's it's it, these two things are running, or more than two two main things are running tandem. I what I call my real job, which is you know various roles within motorsport but hands-on and on the team working on the team side and then there's the co-driving job which is uh you know very different but in a way goes hand in hand with 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 everything else and at that time oh five i was actually working and i was there during the transition from jaguar into red bull f1 so i'd I'd gone when arrows had, had, had finally gone gone under in oh two i'd moved to jaguar which then, <laughs> within a couple of years, suddenly were put up for sale as well. I was like, "Damn it! Does this happen every time?" <laughs> and um, we're still only early twenties, thinking, "Well, I don't know any better." But okay, we could all be out of a job here. Um, and of course, Red Bull stepped in and, and had been looking for a team, I guess, to to, to buy for a little while, and, and the and the deal was done, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so I was with Red Bull and uh, traveling a little bit. And, and the 206 Cup was one of those championships. We did everything ourselves. We we built um, sort of a, a small team of a couple of three mechanics, um, someone to come along and, and drive the van and trailer for us, and then um, driver and co-driver, and I did all the logistics, and the mechanics would do the car, and we'd order the parts, and we'd do everything ourselves. Um, but it was almost more than the time that we had outside of our jobs. And I think about halfway through that season, I sort of decided that if we're going to do this properly and we're going to we need to win this and if we do uh, there might be a, a future with this and it's going to take more time than i've i've got so i sort of quit my job um just like at that f1 really. seems a bit i'm sorry crazy just, just i, I, I want to clarify that you quit your job at an f1 team yeah <laughs> not a decision um they they all knew that i had this i had this sort of parallel what i didn't know would become a career if you like but certainly mm-hmm. interest um but you know i couldn't be at a race event and going rallying they just happened on the same days of course it was all right. weekend stuff um so i kind of had to make that choice and i thought well i can always go back to work but maybe i can't always rally or maybe i can't always take this opportunity so so yeah i i quit my job and um <laughs> luckily Thankfully, Red Bull were good enough to to give me some sort of winter contracting work. When I wasn't rallying, I went back to them in the winters, which to start with, which was which was great. But um, but yeah, so we did. We took it. We took it 100%. We focused on everything. We did all the little 
tweaks and updates and things on the car that we had to we i would say we went testing i don't think we did we didn't really have any budget or time well we had time we didn't have any money for that so we'd enter the events and we and we won the series and um and then came to the us and and on i went from there i suppose well and i guess that was the other thing i was gonna say you know you did the one event in 2005 here and uh you know with david and then it seems like you must have made some relationships there because starting from then on, you're a regular in the U.S. Uh, rally scene. Yeah, I guess so. And um, again, I said it all ties in together and it's all a bit of a... <laughs> anybody that works in any industry always comments how small a world it is and, and motorsport mm-hmm. is even more so, I think. And uh, no, that's right. And I was down in New York and I've got a funny feeling... How did this work out? I'll have to get the timeline right. But certainly I got put in touch or got in touch with Christian Edstrom, who was at the time um, full-time co-driving for Travis, who at the time was uh, was up and coming and starting his rally career um, and doing all the crazy things we, we've seen we've seen him do. So I think I, had, I either had dinner with Christian or we had a cup of coffee somewhere and we just sort of said hi i'm me and you're you and you know keep in touch and you never know and whatever um and from then on it went quiet for a while and then i got another email from christian out of the blue saying um i've just been had an email from 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 a driver who's thinking about doing the series next year and looking for a co-driver what do you think and i said well no idea really (laughs) let me do some homework put us together and he said well it's funny it's funny you want to meet him obviously because he's um he's only about 40 minutes from you and i'm like hang on what he's from australia lives in lives in the uk lives about an hour from you i'll just give you his number and you can figure it out i was like all right so within a week or so i was having a drink with mr andy pinker somewhere in a bar in i don't know where we were not too far from from my house talking about doing the U.S. Championship, which at the time was Rally America for 2006, that must be. And you had a long relationship with him, it looks like. Uh, you know, look in our EWC, EWRC results, which are always our friends for <laughs> looking up the stats. I know, the what, a, what a resource, eh? Oh, we, mm-hmm. we love their site. Uh, I make sure that I donate to them every year and uh, hope all of our listeners that use them uh, do the same because it's yeah, great yeah, that yeah, they yeah. have all that data in there. But, uh, it's fantastic, yeah. If you're if you're if you're on there, you should donate there. Yeah, that's true. That's true because we all use it, even if it's fleetingly, mm-hmm. just to look up the registration of a car or a driver or an event or whatever. So yeah, absolutely. So you know, again, work. You're over here, co-driving for Andrew Pinker for a long time. Uh, then you obviously move into some other cars here and there. ACP, you end up co-driving for him a little bit. Uh, yes, Jason Richard. Um, so you've been with, you know, it was pretty consistent with Pinker, and then you kind of started going from team to team a little bit. It looks like, but uh, got some interesting uh, uh, names that we can all recognize that you got to co-drive for. Yeah, it, that's right. I mean, Andy had a um, sort of a, a two-year. We sort of did '06. We did the first half of '06. Um, as a bit of a sort of suss it out and I say half I think there were nine events that year quite a few actually anyway and I think we did four the first four maybe and actually qualified for x games that year but didn't know anything about it and it wasn't on the cards from the very beginning so had no sponsorship or money or inclination to go and do it because for for us well he's Australian but for the majority of us Brits at the time we never heard of it 
what are we talking about? It's an event in Los Angeles. It's a long way away. It's middle of the summer when we're all doing other things. Um, and no, well, I'm not sure we can get get some get any money for that. And, and we qualified for the for the event, and little did we know how big an event it really was. Um, but no, we didn't go that year. But then we did, yeah, 07 and 08, which was fantastic. Um, racing against a lot of people, many of whom are still in the in the game um, now in the US, and and a lot who were and have dipped out. And um, you know, there was Matt Johnson, and of course Ken and Travis, and Matt Iorio, and ACP was there, and Tanner actually, and so many names I should remember and, and have forgotten. And um, it was a it was a really really strong couple of years, and there was. A number of events where you would go with any one of five, six, seven drivers could 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 win the event, which was exactly what you want. Um, it was it was a great couple of years. So, um, yeah, that was that was say you've established, you've worked with you worked with a great amount of varying amount of drivers. So, as as a co-driver, what what can you do when you get in the car to put what do you do to put each different guy at ease because you go you're going to somebody totally new they don't know you you don't know them you've like you said with andy pinker you probably had a beer in a bar beforehand but uh, what what's what's the secret to working successfully with varying different code with different drivers because they're all different everybody's different they all have different personalities yeah no that's right um you know what it's a good question and not one that people ask very often but i think a lot of it comes back to skills i learned sort of in in during that apprenticeship really during that team environment where you've actually got a very clear goal and a very clear understanding of where you're going and when you're in working in motorsport it's very clear because the goal is get the cars on the grid for the next event or get the cars in the truck for the next rally and that's it and you're not looking much beyond that and certainly with with a lot of drivers i've worked with part of the initial conversation would be okay what's your what's your next step what's your plan and and where where do you think this is going not in two years time but you know in the next half a season or next four events what do you need from it and if someone says, OK, what I need is four wins out of four and I'm going to go hell for leather and that's the end of it. It's a very different approach to, well, you know, we're here to, to learn and I'll be coming back next year and I've not done very much and I want mm-hmm. help with X, Y, Z. And, th- and it is a very different approach. And and a lot of it is 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 age and experience dependent. Young drivers will want more input with pace notes or will want they'll say, look, I need to be held back or they'll say I need to be pushed on or whatever it is. And. A lot of it is just talking to talking to the driver and trying to understand what what they want from the event. Normally, it starts out as one event. What you're going to do together? Um, it's rare you'll be, or certainly for me, it was rare I was thrown in at an opportunity where it was all or nothing, and where they said, "Look, you know, I really do need to win this, and it's we've got to go for it from the very first corner." And I think that's a difficult situation for any co-driver in a way, and I'm sure it happens, but it, it's very difficult, especially when you're starting out. For me, having a very clear understanding of what the driver wanted from the event and where they thought they could do better. And they're not trying to tell them how to do it because, of course, the skill sets are very different. But just trying to pick up on things that you might see. It's like, ah, you know, I've you might have changed gear a bit more than would I've just picked up on it. You know, you've changed gear quite a lot. Is it, you know, ah, yeah, OK, I'll think about that. Or what about this pace note? Maybe you know, can I deliver it better or can we note it better? Um, all those little things. And it's not a question of telling someone how to do something. It's just mm-hmm. working together to try and achieve whatever goal you set out, really. 
cool because yeah um i do get i don't know whether it's by doing this podcast or what it is but i get i've started to field a few inquiries myself and it's a bit bit daunting when you work with somebody for a long length of time yeah and to then go and work with some to be faced with the prospect of working with somebody else it's a little bit daunting yeah although it, it actually it is but the more you do it the more you understand mm. all the drivers are the same <laughs> yeah and they're they're all the same and that goes for a formula one world champion right down to someone who's got the attitude to get a team together and go and do their first rally and that that attitude actually comes through really really strongly and it's the kind of never give up it's the kind of i'm really going to do this and it's i've i've thought about it and i've put some effort in and i'm going to work hard and they're optimistic um and if you you be the kind of the balance to that um if you're both gung-ho and optimistic you'll end up in the first ditch and if you're both likewise if you're both kind of very reserved and and on the back foot you'll 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 not really get any results so it's just trying to keep the balance in the car and um and and i think fast forward a few years to someone like um a very up-and-coming young fast driver or someone at the other end of their career and travis won't mind me saying that about him but he you know he's he's, he's not at the beginning of his rally career and 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 just trying to find that balance in the car where you're both you've got the same goal but you're going about it in a slightly different way also helps yeah so we're uh, talking about travis then how did you come to work with with him yeah, we, so this was, I guess, the first event with Travis was, for me, was end of 2016. Um, winding back again to to the days of Rally America in 06, 7, 8, Travis and and, and Ken Block were, were racing with Subaru for the factory team, as, as it still is today. Um, and so we were competitors. We didn't, I'd never worked with Travis, but raced against him and, and obviously Christian and then um, Ken and, and, and Alex at the time, Alex Gelsomino. Um, so we, I knew them and that's quite a good, a good place to start. We weren't completely brand new, you know, he kind of knew I knew some of the events and we had some stuff in common and I'd worked a little bit with the team and actually my parallel role with, uh, with electrical work within motorsport, I'd done some work for the, for the team and with some of the engineers already. So Mm -hmm. I had a bit of a link with them. Um, and then they, they got in touch with me in beginning of 16, I think, and said, there's a outside possibility you know that they might be looking for a co-driver and if there was would i be interested and lots of ifs and buts and maybes and um lots of time in between all this and we sort of got to the end of the year and we said okay well let's as i said we um you sort of agreed to do one or two events and i think that's what we did i think we agreed to do two events see how we got along make sure that you know we weren't going to kill each other in the car in terms of our personalities clashing or you know having different goals with what we were trying to achieve and um and, and, and yeah, we did we did a couple of events and sort of decided that a seven, 2017 campaign was on the cards. <laughs> yeah, so the rally world's got its own little LinkedIn, really, doesn't it? It's the, such a tight community. No, it, it it really is, and and it's the same with the staff as well. You know, the first thing you know, for a bunch of CVs lands on someone's desk who's involved in a team, race team, rally team, engineering firm, whatever it is they feed sift through them and, and they're going to know a majority of the people. And if they don't know them, they're a phone call away, you know, from somebody else knows them and, and, um, bad, bad rumors and bad news travel really fast and good news and, and compliments don't go so fast. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, 
I guess let's talk about that 2017 inaugural season with uh, Super Motorsports, full season, I guess. Uh, I, for me, this was my start in doing, you know, more higher level media stuff versus just things like this podcast, which I've been doing for years. Um, well, come on, this is high level. You know, I obviously love the sport, been a volunteer for years, you know, been involved in, uh, you know, organizing an event, but, uh, you know, obviously going to all the events in, in the championship was a, was a big deal for me. Uh, but here you are, you get to be in the top team in, in the U S um, you know, very professional. Uh, the car I'm guessing is a little bit different than maybe some of the others that you've been in as far as performance wise. Um, I guess, what was that like uh, starting that season and then competing against David and Craig who already had a stack of championships? Yeah, what was it like? Goodness, we had one 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 goal really. That as did you know both drivers on the team, and the goal was to was to was to win the championship. Um, when you're involved with a team, and and I've seen it from the you know the point of view of from the team and the point of view from an individual driver, the team's goal is to is to win drivers and the and the team's championship at, at all costs really. Um, but within that, the driver's goal is to is to win win the drivers championship um drivers and co-drivers with rally of course um and that was our that was our goal it was to you know we thought we'd done the homework we had a pretty good idea of most of the events and any of the events we didn't know pierce knows that that year the, being the first event we knew david didn't know either so we we thought well if we've got a shot then this might be it and um it was it was clear it was a clear division actually at that start of that year where where David in the past had been nothing but a help to, to, to Travis as he as he got to grips with the sport, got up to speed. And I think um, Travis will say that, that David gave him more help than, than anyone over a longer period of time without fail and was and was fantastic about it. But the, the sort of mutual agreement, I think for the for the best at that start of that year was every man for himself in a way. It was like, well, you know, we're now competitors with equal team, equal car, and uh, let's 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 see see what happens. And I'm not, we're not, we're, if we're racing a, a, a competitor, we'll help each other for sure. But if we're racing each other, then you know we keep we keep things separate. Um, and I I was there a little bit during the um, Weber Vettel scenarios at Red Bull and um, saw and I thought well if things can't possibly get that bad so <laughs> and unfortunately they they got nowhere near that but um, but I'd sort of seen what what can happen and it does happen with with teammates um, and it and it's it certainly wasn't the first time that that something could could have happened with with teammates you know saying oh well you had this treatment and you had that treatment I wanted this shiny part on the car but you got it and it's it's horrible. It's a really difficult position to be in. But we didn't get to that point, and and we did race um, pretty damn hard all year, I would say. Yeah, <laughs> you know, seeing it <laughs> firsthand, uh, you, you you two were both on the limit the whole time, and uh, I, I think yeah, I guess to me it seemed like David had to change up his game plan a little bit. Usually, being a little bit more the superior performance i think through the seasons um I, granted there are other there were years that he really had to fight hard but um i i almost think that david had to kind of change it up a little bit on how he had to approach because you and travis were just right there on the money real close to him right from the get-go so yeah i mean 
Piersnez was was tough. Actually, we we went in really confident, and actually right up to the to the first day of the event, we had a great recce. We'd we'd done um, the team were good enough to put a car out for us at Torpines the previous fall. So so we you know we'd been in the car relatively recently on those sorts of surfaces, and and um, we went in full of confidence, and we weren't as 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 quick. We didn't set as many fast times as we as we thought we might. So. We came out of Pearson Edge feeling, well, okay, what's the plan now? And and it's easy. When you're going for a championship, the plan is flat out all the time. And and so we, we knew, I think Oregon was round two, and we knew we had to win Oregon, basically. If we didn't win, the the chances, the door was closing pretty fast at that point. Um and, and we went out and didn't really make any mistakes the whole the whole weekend. Um the other thing with that year, I think you're 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 right. Um, with David's performance level on average, we sort of say to this day, with you know, if we did that championship ten times, David would win more than fifty percent of it. I'm almost certain. Um, but what we did know was any bad luck he had or any good luck we had, we had to capitalise. And yeah. whenever there was an opportunity to 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 win a stage, even or or um, do something that that might bring us um, some points or whatever it might be, we had to take it. If David had a bit of bad luck, that was our time to push really hard, um, and he did. He had a, he had his fair share of bad luck that year, um, and, and we we sort of made the most of it, really. Uh, obviously, going into the final round, there uh, things got a little bit. Uh, <laughs> uh, that that wasn't interesting, but. Uh, you kept it made a good launch control. It, it made a great launch control. <laughs> it did. It was it was very dramatic, um, both inside the team and out. I'm sure. Uh, I I, I kind of wonder if like you know, you knew the the crews that worked on the on the teams, you know, the, for for each side, the the red team as they were doing it versus the blue team kind of thing. Um, yeah. Did the rivalry extend, especially that last event at Ojibwe, uh, to where like? nobody wanted to talk to anybody else you know because it went that went down to the last stage of the last event it did it did it really did it went down to the last pair of stages those street stages on the the last day of the last event and i think i talked about it on some some stuff with uh with the launch control guys just recently we uh we did a bit of a voiceover on that episode and and uh yeah it was it we, we tied the tie break i mean that's how close it was um and then we went down to the final, the final count of, of points allocated to stage positions and all the rest of it, and and we could find a difference. But it was, it was crazy. The the, the guys on the team were fantastic, actually. Um, during the, they were, everyone was rooting for their 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 corner, of course. But mm-hmm. if there was anything collectively that could be done to make sure the team had a result, so you know, if somebody had a something went wrong on the car and it looked like it was going to be detrimental to the team, then they would step in and help. And that, that has always been the case. The guys have always, you know, the, the team comes first. Um, and, and that's, that's really, really good to see. So we, we were confident that was going to be the case. Having said that they weren't going to give anything up. Um, however, they didn't have much chance to because <laughs> the plan was <laughs> unfolding so fast and we were having to make such last minute decisions that mm-hmm. they really didn't have to keep any secrets because the secrets weren't there. We didn't have the plan at that time. Um, you know, the tire service that was seen, we were, we were deciding it seconds before the tires went on the car. So we didn't, you know, nobody was asked to do or say anything that they weren't comfortable with. It was, you know, just, 
carry on with your job as normal. You just won't have a decision until the very last second. <laughs> and um, I think we were first on the road, so we had to make the call first. And uh, and and yeah, we that's that's how it panned out in the end. But the guys the guys were fantastic about it, and I know it it it's always tricky when two teammates come down to uh come down to that within a team um how it works when you have three or four cars in a team i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) i think you know we kind of like even though it was only like a couple of years ago i think it's easy to forget how tight and exciting things were in at the end there at uh at ojibwe it really was that was as as tight and exciting a finish as we've we've ever seen i think it, it it was quite amazing, really, to, to literally we were working out what we had to do on a stage by stage basis. Um, we knew kind of the plan for the first day was um, get a lead and go for it. We were comfortable. We were strong on that on those first few stages. David, I think, punctured on the first stage. And then it was right. Hammer down. No mistakes. Let's get on with it and pull out any time we can. Um and then we went through these. We knew it was going to be a tiebreak from the very beginning. We knew if we won the, the only way we could win the championship was to win the event. And if we won the event and David was second, it was a tiebreak. So it, it actually, for us again, it was it was straightforward. It, you have to win the event, full stop, and you have to get as many stage wins as you can. And that was that was pretty pretty straightforward as a game plan. However, come Friday night, we had our Saturday plan all set, and then, and then it rained, I think, overnight, and we woke up. Ooh, we were, we woke up Saturday morning, looked down. out the window, yeah. and I think I'm, I think I rang Travis and and or whatever it was. One of us rang each other from across the hall in the hotel rooms or whatever, and said, "Right, Plan B, <laughs> whatever Plan B was at the time of tires and 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 whatever the plan was, it was shift to the other one because it's wet and we didn't expect it to be. So that just added a whole other dimension. Um, but you no, know, it did. It went right down to the end, and we were actually with um, with the organisers of ARA at that time. We, we knew before the last pair of stages, we could see which way it was going to go, and we also knew that they needed to know what they were going to do in event that we tied the tie break and they came up with a plan and, um, and we, and we did and we count counted back all these points and we figured it out and um, yeah, by, by a hair's breath, we, we, we did it. Uh, I just remember being on top of uh, <clears throat> the hotel in downtown for the street stage and uh, doing a live stream from up there as you guys came through. Actually, it was the David started and then we didn't see David for a bit. And yeah. we found out that he uh, had bounced off one of the uh, one of the barricades, and or touched one or whatever. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. that's it done. <laughs> well, that's that was kind of unbelievable because they ran those stages in reverse order. Let me just get this right. So they ran those stages in reverse order, and we were first on the road, therefore last to go. I guess. Oh right. So yeah. we yep. queued. We essentially queued behind David going into that penultimate stage but the way where the start position was that year you could also see the flying finish so i knew i was sort of timing the cars leading up to david and i knew roughly what sort of stage time he was likely to do um and then you know we were just chatting in the car staying calm we'd put ourselves in a position where we only had to win one of the final two stages and travis is historically always been very good on these super specials exactly. and he doesn't really know why but he just has a knack of p- 
picking the line and doing the right thing at the right time. And he's very, very good on those sorts of things. And and he thought, well, if if I've got to win one, I'm pretty confident. If I can put myself in that position, that's the place to be. And we got to that point. And then we counted David down as off he went, did the stage, came back through. And it just seemed to, the time just seemed to tick on a little bit longer. And then we saw him, okay, oh, fair enough. And then he crossed the line. I looked at the watch and I said, I think he's dropped five or six seconds. And I don't know why or where, but I suspect I suspect it's not a competitive time. But at this point, what do you do? You can't go mm-hmm. cautiously, but if you go flat out and slide into a curb, you're going to feel a fall. So, well, we went flat out, of course. <laughs> um, and, and we didn't do much does, wrong. Does Travis, and we looked, say again? I was going to say, does Travis not have a flat out? Uh, if he does have it i don't see it very often <laughs> right right <laughs> um yeah but anyway we yeah that's that uh that stage we, we won and by that point of course with rally you you still haven't done it you've crossed the line you've won the stage but you haven't finished the event and right. we had one more to do and fortunately there was no transit the finish was right there at, at that downtown stage so so we we finished and and you know here's all the handing the time cards in and even then the results are only provisional and the final inspections and mm-hmm. all the rest of it but essentially the job was done and uh we could relax and uh yeah kind of kind of take it all in really mm-hmm. well and well here, here's a question and, and you can choose to answer this or not one thing i do remember <laughs> is the uh this is the early days of having the trackers in the cars and yep. i remember after the penultimate or not the penultimate stage i guess it's the last stage out in the woods we saw you and David's cars stopped for like yep. 15 minutes. Okay. Before you then finished it. Cause yeah, we had really long transit times. Um, That's right. so there's yep. a big window there yep. and then you all transited in to do the uh, street stages. Yeah. What happened during that time frame? Um, when we saw you guys there. I think I know where that is. And I, think that it may have looked very close together on the tracker but it was probably across a parking lot it probably wasn't as close together as it looked on the tracker uh, um there's a there's a spot i think on that transit where you can change tires um and it was going from gravel stage to uh a street stage right. and we had some we had some worn i think this is right i think we either had some worn gravel tires from earlier in the event we decided to put on or we ran mediums and then flicked to softs for the for the um pavement stage whichever way around it was we both basically ended up with the same plan and we both knew we were going to stop at the same place and we (laughs) we did that but i think historically we would have um probably parked up and you know whatever told some jokes and talked about something not rally but i think this time he was at one end of the parking lot and we were possibly at the other or lay by or pull off or whatever it was. Um, and I think it was obvious to both of us. We were just going to do our own thing, stick to our own plan, see what the other side, as they say. Um, I got a funny feeling that that was what happened on that transit. <laughs> <laughs> we were just always curious because uh, we were yeah. all set up for that final stage, you know, like set at the hotel and everything. It's like, yeah, huh. Those what are they doing? You're right. The, the, the transit times were pretty long and I think there was some some construction on the roads and stuff, what have you. But uh, still, we, uh, yeah, I think I'm pretty sure, because that year we had uh, 10 tyres per, per car, per event. So it was a it was a game plan in itself just to figure out what to do with tyres and when. Um, and 
I'm almost certain it was I I know there was a lot of back and forth with compounds and what have you. Um, but normally you'd put on a softest tire you can for the for the short pavement stage if you have to run gravel tires. And if you have some worn ones, that's probably even better. So I, my guess is that's what we were doing. Mm-hmm. That sounds completely logical. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, it's not more exciting. I, mean, I know, maybe, right? maybe we went swimming. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, I actually got to see you earlier this season, um, at the test you guys were doing, uh, before this season, uh, was supposed to start. Um, yeah. obviously we're, we're still waiting for that to happen, but, um, you know, you, you were with Travis again. Uh, we have our, our new young driver, uh, coming in from Canada now, um, which is awesome to have uh, a out there. Uh, but I guess one thing I wanted to see is, is, you know, everybody thinks the Subaru is the same car because it looks the same uh, from, you know, when they first brought it out in 2015, the current generation of the body style um, to what is run today. And since you've been through a few iterations of this, I guess I wanted to ask you, you know, being especially more technical guy, um, that, that car isn't all the same, is it? I think if it if it was, the job would be very difficult, <laughs> even more difficult. Um, I think that's right. I My understanding is um that when that body style was introduced then um a lot of the powertrain was was sort of transposed from the previous shape because they'd done obviously a lot of work with that but since then they they have moved away from from those original designs and and to be honest these things are never static you know they're even if it's a a tie wrap in a different place or you know a few grams of weight that's changed here or there they're always doing something and rightly so um they're not standing still and we know that at any time anyone could come along with a serious car and uh, uh, and make you know make a good job of, a, of an event or a championship. So you've got to be ready, um, and we're seeing that now with with, with Barry. Um, and if anybody else decided they were going to arrive with something that was competitive, um, we'd feel daft if we'd stood still. Um, also, the, the technical regulations have changed a little bit during those years. We had our, our championship year in, in 17. Um, there were some different boost limits and different weight weight limits on the car, so parts were re-engineered for that. Um, and also, if, if tyres change, we've gone from, from, from D-Max across to Yokohama's now, um, so things change slightly from the setup of the car and... Yeah, they they do evolve, and 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 I guess if you look back over a chunk of time, you think, oh, it's night and day different. But event to event or season to season, it's just been very small tweaks here and there. And of course, some of them don't work. You know, you 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 come out of a test and you say, actually, you know that we changed that thing in the steering, and it's horrible. Take it off, and uh, you go back again. But uh, that's that's motorsport. And do, do you notice a difference, I guess, uh, between those years, you know, in, in the performance of the car? Um, is it mostly the regulatory, I guess, changes that you'll notice when, when, when that changes? I yeah, the, 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 rest, the restrictor thing um, and the weight you could definitely feel um, when the weight limit went up or the ballast was introduced in 17, you could definitely feel it. The cars were slightly more lazy, slightly more tricky to change direction. Um and they they landed harder off off the jumps as as I found out in 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 Maine that yeah. year. But um, they yeah they, there was a few things you could you could definitely pick up on um, more so if you're behind the wheel I'm sure. But for me certainly I could I could feel some things and and then of course if you're fortunate enough to be able to use the same road from year to year and you have some times and the weather's similar then you've got an idea of what you should be doing on the same piece of road. So 
yeah, you you do you do see the differences. Um, some of the subtle ones you don't. Some of them might be for you know tire life rather than performance. You know, or some of them might be well, we've found a more efficient way of doing this. We've found a we've changed supplier on our spring or on our you know composite stuff, or we've added some aero load on the front and we want to prove it. And you can't really feel that stuff. I can't anyway. But um, some of it you can. Some of it you can. Now, in addition to doing this co-driving that you've been doing for uh, Super Motorsports USA of late, uh, you also get behind the wheel a bit yourself uh, when yeah, it comes true, to driving, actually. right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah, uh, I have actually. Last year, I did quite a few uh, circuit races, um, which is the opposite end of being with a factory team on a national championship. It's uh, I've gone I've I've gone the other end of the scale. It's just me and uh, maybe a f- couple of friends if they can, you know, get out of bed and come and help. Um, I've sort of built this this old Subaru GCA. Uh, I say old. It's an old body but it's new parts pretty much um over the last few years and yeah last year we went out and did did some circuit racing and had a a lot of fun actually and um you got to remember there's other people there with you which took took a little while (laughs) (laughs) i've done i've done quite a lot of track days and stuff over the years and uh never done a rally which um which i'm sort of in the back of my mind working towards perhaps doing it doing a rally or two at some point myself but um the circuit racing is is great fun and and again being right in the middle of uh the motorsport world in the uk here i can um i can go an hour or two and hit three or four pretty good racetracks um so it's all in one day you know i can leave on a sunday morning i can race a day and then be home again at night and it's uh it's it's great fun but it's definitely the other end of the scale from a a factory outfit (laughs) Well, and you're racing in an all-wheel drive car when I'm guessing most of your competitors aren't. Yeah, correct. I, actually, a few years ago, I did a, a same series, but the different course competitors come and go, as we've discussed. Uh, and there were a few things like Skylines and Evos and other four-wheel drive cars. But this last year, I was pretty much the only one. And the, actually, the funniest thing was I, I spun into the gravel somewhere, maybe Donington Park, and uh, the last corner, last but one corner, you come over a crest. It's a tricky turn in. It's a bit slippery. It's actually under a um, under the airport where the plane's going and out, and there's all av gas all over the place, slippy as hell. And I, I spun into the gra- into the gravel, and of course, the marshals come running over as if to try and push you or help or whatever. And I just locked the the centre differential on those cars, so you got fully all wheel drive, and just popped it out the gravel and drove off, and they've never seen anything like it. <laughs> 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 and uh and and they just they they were gobsmacked the next lap i came around and they were all waving and jumping up and down and they couldn't work, quite work it out but it was it was fun <laughs> that's that's the subaru drivetrain for you that's the benefits <laughs> i love it i love it so um so now we've been we've been locked down here for like ooh gosh i've been for for for, for weeks and me feels like years now but the, two and i know that me. there's two months or oh, is it yeah it feels like two years but, uh, yeah. we've uh, and i know that the regulations regarding like lockdown are like different to the uk to over here i mean i can as long as i don't see anybody i can go out on my bike and i can ride for like miles and miles but i believe that in the uk nice. you can only only like spend an hour outside or something yeah, I guess I, I guess it, things are different in different countries, but um, 
Yeah, here you can you can go out. Uh, essentially, we're we're not. I mean, we're locked down. As in, if you can work from home, you're working from home, and therefore a lot of people are. A lot of uh, staff have been furloughed, which um, actually isn't really a term that we use much in in the UK over the years. But suddenly everyone knows what it means and exactly what exactly what how it uh, how it works over the last few months um, or last couple of months. But yeah, here you can you can head out for an hour, an hour or so, sort of exercise or walk or whatever for for, for per day, as they say, and then of course go out for groceries and whatever. But yeah it, it's tricky it's um it's difficult i guess staying safe is the priority really yeah so uh can you can you do anything let's say to like keep your eye in as a co-driver what, what are you doing to keep your eye in as a co-driver during this break i mean it's like do you like at home do you just like watch videos or I actually, I haven't actually done that. What I have done is is join, <laughs> not join the rest of the world because I haven't played with them. But most people have been migrating across to you know sim racing or whatever, which I've been doing a bit of, which has been um, which has been good fun, a good way to keep the reactions sharp and and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, not physically demanding, but definitely mentally demanding. And you know, if you enter yourself in a hour long or an hour and a half long race and you kind of you're trying to work out strategies in your head and you're trying to what shall i do and when shall i pit and all this kind of stuff i think that's pretty good um that's pretty good mental mental gymnastics there um mm -hmm. uh working these things out which of course i i quite enjoy um it's not rally and it's not the same um and i've seen i think i saw somebody in the uk it might have been phil hall or someone doing online video and they were watching some in-car across the internet with a driver him with a driver and he was reading the notes and the driver was watching the in-car on a simulator and they were doing it sort of in real time which i thought was quite quite a good idea um but no i haven't i haven't done any of that at the moment um we'll definitely need something though it's going to be a while um until yeah. we're back in the car and at that point it could easily be three four five months since since we since the last time you know yeah yeah i think i saw that phil hall video you were you you you, you just mentioned yeah and, uh, so um like so what pointers can you give any pointers for to the average co-driver over here in in america who hasn't done an event for like month well i haven't done an event since a last last august have you yeah. got any pointers for like keeping keeping your eye in i mean i try and block off a few hours a week where i can watch videos or or well even basically just to learn how to um operate my uh co-driver's watch i mean <laughs> I ian's serious? always looking for a secret from the pros by the way as you can tell so yeah. uh... <laughs> I'm, 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 i am doing this for my friends in the co-driving world i mean we're all in the, we're all in the same boat yeah i know so. I, you know what i bet talking of those watches we've all got we've all got one or more i bet if you ask me now how to you know which button do you press i couldn't tell you but as soon as it's on your wrist you know exactly where to go <laughs> muscle memory yeah exactly exactly um yeah i suppose i've not given it much thought actually it's always anything any hand-eye coordination stuff was always great um which of course is very difficult now you know you can't just go and have a game of tennis but cycling is cycling is always good and if you can get off road and you're picking lines and looking at things that you want to avoid and um 
because you get a bit of you know you get the physical and the mental side of it which is which i think a lot of us or all of us enjoy one way or another um but going through i find um you know reading sort of regulations and of sporting regulations or technical regulations of, of a series you're doing a few months out or a few weeks out just gets you back into thinking about mm-hmm. oh yeah the way that time controls work and what do i need to know before i get there and what time the driver's meeting all those little things that kind of slip out of your of your of your conscience really just to get you back into thinking about an event and if you have any in car the benefit now we've got so much out there online on youtube or you can send to each other you know you can share with each other any sort of in car or previous notes that you've got to go through then it's 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 a massive help um but historically and the problem's always been the same with rally getting practice or testing time is is very very difficult so you uh, obviously follow rallying at all levels um and competed at uh, most every level. And um, one thing that we discuss on the show is, you know, obviously the future of rallying uh, with the WRC, especially who seem to be at the forefront of a lot of these things. Mm. And, uh, you know, there's the upcoming regulation changes that they're looking for for 2022. It adds some electrification. Uh, Ian's a huge fan of uh, full electric. Um, <laughs> I have my reservations. <laughs> um, I fully admit that, uh, you know, I, I know it's a direction we're kind of moving in. Um, I, get a little concerned about the safety aspect because of uh the fact that you won't hear a car coming it'll be just like a giant remote control car um <laughs> is what it'll sound like but they do have plan on doing these hybrids and whatnot um and then the other thing is they're looking at doing this kind of scaled uh design for these i guess kind of basically we end up going to almost like a nascar kind of thing where you end up with a tubular chassis with uh, a, a body similar to the larger, like these SUVs and whatnot. And it recently was released at M Sport is going to maybe do their Puma SUV um, uh, yes. converted yeah. into a WRC car. Um, I guess I want to get your thoughts on you know the, the upcoming regulations and, and and the direction things are going in. And also, you competed in a previous iteration of the Puma. If I if from seeing on the results here before it was an SUV anyway. Yeah, you've done your homework. <laughs> um, that's right. The um, the Super 1600 category was, and they still are, unbelievable amounts of fun, those cars. Um, and so many of the of the current guys and the world champions over the years have come come through them. Um, you know, Sordo and Loeb and PG Anderson and all those drivers, Patrick, I guess, who's currently obviously with Subaru now. And so many of those drivers have come through Super 1600 and they we all remember... 10,000 RPM and, uh, you know, oh, screeching yeah. two little two wheel drive, you know, rockets um, through the mountains of Corsica or through the, you know, whatever, Argentina or whatever. But, um, yeah, things are definitely changing and and th- they are no more. Uh, even the Super 2000s that were kind of a, um, a jump forward from that four wheel drive version uh, moved to the R5, of course, to reflect um, streetcar or automotive direction uh and again we're gonna we're gonna jump again in the next year or two um this certainly the current time possibly has has made things a little bit more tricky because you know people now are very much more aware that you know look at the f1 rules for us for a start we're rolling this year into next so mm-hmm. you're almost even if even if you're racing a little bit in 2020 you're you're kind of losing that year um you're just rolling everything forward again on the technical side so it's difficult then to 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 convince or to attract a lot of people into spending and developing so perhaps there is an argument for something that's a a space frame or a, a bunch of spec parts 
I know the um, I think touring car series in the UK, which has been hugely popular in the past, is going for some spec hybrid parts for 22, maybe 21, 22, um, which I think is a great way to do it. You know, introduce something at the start that everybody runs uh, as a as a sort of stepping stone to to whatever's after that. And um, I think with rally, it certainly sounds to me like it's a sensible way to go um to try and limit a cost b complexity and and c do you really need five or six different teams trying to develop the same thing when ultimately from a spectator point of view that's not where the interest is going to lie initially to start with anyway i i I think so i guess what i was going to roll into that also is you know this whole scaled thing one thing that i struggle a bit with is that even you know, with how highly modified WRC cars or even the, the current Subaru um, in American Rally Association, it still starts with a factory chassis, right? It's, uh, you know, they, it's stripped down to nothing and built back up, but the core of the car is still there. We go to this scaled thing, and I, I feel like something is lost. We're, we're, we're now going away from the roots of our sport a bit. Yeah, I mean, rally really has been, hasn't it? Um, you know, production cars, and and you really can, as they used to say, win on a Sunday and sell them on a Monday. Um, and ultimately, that's how we all started, in, in, and how many people, you know, still will start in the future, which is a, a production car modified in some way, sometimes a little bit, and sometimes a lot, <laughs> to give you a competition car that you can take in the woods and on the mountains and wherever, wherever the events are. Um, but if is is that the way to get as many manufacturers involved or as many big brands and companies involved as possible? I don't know. I mean, we've we've sort of we've shown with WRC that you know three or four manufacturers is kind of good, but five or six is better in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and, and and how do you do that? The costs now of running a professional sports team or motorsport outfit are so huge. There just aren't many people that can justify it. So. Therefore, I think something has to has to give, whether that's the the, the engineering, whether that's the development. Um, I think what um, what motorsport's been really good at much more recently is showing people kind of where the effort goes. Um, it was always so secretive. It still is, of course. But, you know, F1 used to be, you know, we can't tell anyone anything, you know, and right. people used people used to ask us in the pit lane, what do you do in the winter? And you and you just used to not understand the question. They used to say, what do you do in the winter? And you say, well, we build all this. And they'd say, what do you mean? You say, well, everything you see here, we make it. All right. Oh, you don't just go and buy the cars then and roll them out. And we were like, well, no, we don't. We actually make everything except the tires, basically. We pretty much make everything out. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, right. So you guys are really busy in the winter. Well, yeah. And uh, (laughs) and that's that's been the question. But I think recently with the behind the scenes series, with the Netflix stuff and with um, people wanting to do videos of – you know, I saw one on a, one of the rally powertrains, might have been Hyundai or, or whatever, and and Subaru now giving access behind the scenes with the, the launch control staff and the, the, the rallycross um, team suddenly a lot more open, and this is what we do, this is why. Suddenly you can explain that stuff a lot more and, and perhaps justify it because someone's got to sign the checks, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the, the it's, it's, a, it's a balance, isn't it, when it comes to the development of the sport. It's like... If you say that uh, we need to rein in rein in the expenditure, but we um, we need to give the fans 
the spectacle. I mean, it's like my, my, Mike's expressed his reservations there about these scaled bodies, but I think if the scale, I mean, the the Puma SUV, the rally, the, the rally version, the Puma SUV is not going to look anything like the Puma SUV you're going to be able to buy in the dealers. It's going to have like the big flared wheel arches with the vents out the back and parts. It would be nice if it had like a whale tail spoiler on the back, like the old Escort Cosworth. Yes. But, <laughs> you know, if, if, if you can get a vehicle that looks exciting and the fans look at it and say, wow. And they know that they can go out and buy a buy a Puma, and they're going to be able to. If the, the crazy fans are going to be able to go out and buy an aftermarket body kit if they want one, yeah, I think yeah. that's that's the thing. We've got to make the sport look look. We know it's an exciting sport. We've got to make it look as exciting as it is. And I mean, I, I mentioned this with the Gelsominos. There's a there's a Proto 2000 outfit in Poland that makes yeah. a Toyota CHR, and it okay. is absolutely drop dead gorgeous. And it's yeah. an SUV, and it <laughs> makes drop dead gorgeous, exciting SUVs that race on the on race on the roads. So that that would be great. Yeah, I think that 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 is certainly possible. I mean. Rally teams and race teams historically have managed to make kind of straightforward production cars look very much different to that and very much more exciting over the years. And it, and it is possible, but the rules have to be written in a way to, to allow that um, with, like you say, wheel arches and spoilers and aero kits and whatever. And I guess there's an argument even to say that the current stuff have gone slightly the other side of that line. You know, they do look yeah. super aggressive and they do look a bit kind of out of a feature film or something rather than, a slightly dressed up version of what what you can buy so it's difficult there's a lot of interested parties of course with these big series and ultimately you've got to you've got to give give some a, a proper sport a proper proper sport a proper show to the to the fans i think um and however you can you can do that um is, is the best and then you, you you kind of talk to the engineers and they're going to want freedom to experiment and play around and 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 I sort of draw a comparison sometimes with with Formula E, and the, the biggest difference with Formula E from team to team is is the software, and that's the stuff that nobody can see. And right. even if you could show it to them, no one could understand it anyway. <laughs> so <laughs> it's 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 tricky because that's where so much time and effort and development goes, and that can be the difference between you know a quarter of a second a lap over the race, but you know ultimately. The guys that are, you know, buying a car or you're buying an Audi or a Jaguar or whatever it might be on the on the Monday aren't seeing that, aren't seeing any of that benefit. Yet it's costing, you know, tens of millions of pounds every 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 season to to to, to beat the next guy. Um, yeah, it's tricky. No obvious, no obvious way way to go. No, uh, no. I, so we were, I was just just as you were talking there, I was just thinking we were talking about making uh, making cars interesting to the uh, to the buyer i mean i was just remembering back to the old days of the btcc uh, do you do you remember when they used to race like volvo estate cars yeah how about that? Uh, that that was a vehicle that was like never made for the track but uh, it was on fantastic. the track and they raced it and people loved it didn't they yeah no that was it was fantastic wasn't it that was twr as well that was the uh 
well, Arrows, Arrows was won by the, the Walkinshaw outfit essentially to start with. So I have some affinity to, to that, although I was, I was, they were long gone by the time I arrived, but um, no, the old 850s were, were great fun. And it was a, it was a really, a really good era of, of British touring cars at that point, but there's always been quirky, quirky models that have been allowed and out and don't look like they're the right kind of thing. I mean, look at, um, you know, the hill climb, some of the cars that turn up at Pikes Peak every year, you know, it's like, what is this thing, you know, and uh, they're kind of, kind of weird and wonderful. But thankfully, they've been allowed to run in the past, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So in in your i'm not going to i'm not going to say in your long career but i mean over <laughs> over over your yeah, you know, now, now you're at the end of it what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm 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 looking through here i'm looking at the immense amount of different cars that you've co-driven in we mentioned the puma super 1600 just now but uh yeah i mean even looking down there at the start of the of your career you were in a ford car now That's there can't right. be a much smaller rally car than a a Ford car. I mean, what kind of room is there in there? Uh, no, not very much, basically. <laughs> um, they, that was great. That was another example of. Here, here's the thing: if you're going to start off in rally, and I guess it's the same in in race as well, start off in the smallest, slowest thing you can find and drive the doors off it and mm-hmm. do it really well, and then take a jump up from there um and it goes back to the the the, you know on a bigger scale it's the same with the super 1600 cars that the quick guys in the wrc always came from the junior world championship with the slightly slightly slower cars but were ultimately learning how to learning their craft and and the same was with the ka series all those years ago i remember we we entered the first event there was 27 ka's lined up mm-hmm. on the first rally of whatever year it was 2002 or something all exactly the same all with each with a, a 20 early 20 or late teenager age driver and a crazy co-driver sat with them um and they had nothing in their in their eyes except going out to win and um and it was the most competitive rallying possibly ever done maybe except for 2017 <laughs> but um it just it you know had no power it had loads of grip mm-hmm. And it didn't really do anything. It went round corners really well, but that was about it. And it didn't really stop and it didn't really accelerate. But you just learned how to go fast and carry your speed. And um, and it was great fun. But, yeah, a lot, a lot of the cars are, are like that. The Super 600 is great fun, as we've talked about. Super 2000s were, were a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, for all the bad press that Group N cars got, they weren't bad. And the le- the last of the line were were really quite quite a serious car. Um, you can draw parallels with the with the Group A cars of the nineties that spat flames and went sideways and were driven by the greats, and they were fantastic. But uh, the last of the line Group N car was a quicker car, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just so, didn't, look uh, as, uh, didn't uh, look quite as good or sound quite as good. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, uh, what's your the favourite car that you've sat in o- over the years then? Oh goodness me! Well, of course, of course, the Subaru of uh, no, I, the Subarus <laughs> are some. They are some. The open class regulations in the, in the US are fantastic, um, and it's mainly because they're loosely based on. Um, I suspect the early, the previous generation World Rally cars. They're very mechanical to drive. They're they're noisy because the the, the noise limits are pretty pretty relaxed or, or pretty high which is which is great so people can hear them coming they've got crazy anti-lag systems um great suspension and and they are 
a serious way to go rallying. You can get in, into a lot of trouble. I think Brandon Semenuk at the start of this year said, yep, I can get into trouble pretty quick with this thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the easy bit. Getting out of it, of course, is the difficult thing. Um, but possibly possibly the most fun was one of the a Super 2000 on tarmac. I did a couple of events in the Peugeot uh, 207 Super 2000. Fortunately, luckily with the Kronos team, actually, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. In 2011, 12, maybe. I think we did we did Rally Mont Blanc, um, literally racing up and down Mont Blanc in the Alps. Um, and again, you know, all the all the quick guys you've sort of ever heard of from from Europe, the Cedric Roberts and the Freddie Loics and all the rest of it. And uh, and and to be amongst those guys on a fantastic event in a factory as close as you can get to a factory super 2000 car was was quite something yeah and uh, then historically i mean speaking i saw i saw a picture of you on your instagram of you were you said you were staring wistfully and lovingly at a mark ii ford escort <laughs> who doesn't love an escort if you come from the uk you love mark II escorts <laughs> if you're into motorsport um yeah, I've done. Yeah, I did uh, Rally GB actually national with uh, with my old friend Johnny Wigmore, who came out of retirement. hadn't done a rally. He hadn't done a rally since we think it's two thousand seven. And uh, every year he's been saying, oh, "I might do a rally this year." And sure enough, last year he said, "I might do a rally this year." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, let me know when you put the entry in." And then literally <laughs> the day the entries opened for Rally GB last year. He sends me a photograph of the entry form submitted, and he said, "Right, <laughs> we're going." I love it. And I, just, I was like, "Are you serious?" He said, "Right, I've forgotten. I don't I have a clue how to do this. I've completely forgotten what to do. You take care of everything, but we're doing it." All right, fair enough. So off we went and did Jack Rally GB and his Mark II Escort, which is a fantastic piece of kit, and we had a whale of a time. We won the class by uh, six yeah. minutes or something ridiculous, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> Just had a fantastic couple of days uh, in North Wales. As you know, how can you not, in a way? But um, Rally GB yeah. was, was was great. Um, so they are they are they are very very different, and it does feel like going back in time. Uh, I've not been in one of the super modern cars that you see all over all over the the internet, and um, they are probably another league. But uh, but this was was good fun. Well, speaking of good fun, uh, one other one I wanted to touch on is I remember. Uh, Back in uh, 2018, uh, you hooking up with uh, Raman Alagaman in doing yeah. that uh, rally legend in yeah. uh, that, uh, yeah, the, the classic WRC car. And that sounded like a heck of a time. Those roads looked amazing. Uh, I mean, it's just a show event, but what was that experience like? Uh, I mean, obviously, the fans over there in Europe are just fantastic, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a, uh, it's a bit like um, what I was saying about X Games earlier, where I had no idea what I, what it was until I looked a bit closer or, or got involved. And Rally Legends is like that. And there are a number of those events now throughout Europe, and they've really taken off with the, the rise of um, historic rallying, I guess, in a way. But as much as, as that, they, they've done really well in inviting old factory drivers, old, I say old, previous factory drivers, some of which are old, um, but... <laughs> And then the old factory cars that have been restored and looked after and anything that's a bit interesting and a bit different. And of course, um, Ramana has been a friend for a long time and he's, he's based in Boston. So I try and catch up with him when I'm there, but he, uh, he bought, uh, a Subaru S seven. So 2000, whatever, one or two WRC car Subaru that, uh, very close to the specification he, he used to drive in, in the U S all those years ago. 
Um, and uh, he was going to, to to Rally Legends, and and we said, right, come on then, let's uh, let's jump in alongside you. And I don't know what the event's about, and you don't know what the event's about. We're going to have some fun, and uh, and yeah, it was a it was a fantastic event. Uh, hundreds of people rallying through the night and through the daytime in San Marino, a little, little province in the middle of Italy, a bit like uh, Principality, I should say, a bit like Mon- Mon- a bit like Monaco is to uh, to France. Um, and the people are like you imagine them to be lining the roads and you don't almost don't recognize the roads on the rally because you've been on the the recce and there's no one and you go on the rally and there's thousands and thousands of people and there's fireworks and flares and, and people selling food and drink. And, you know, it's just, it's a great, it's a crazy event as, as Ken found out when he went last year, because it was so good. He couldn't miss it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. His historic rallying in europe it really is an incredibly popular thing isn't it i mean it's i'm trying to understand why when you've got the big the uh the big powerful wr machine wrc machines out there that people still want to see still get a huge kick out of watching a um 1973 mark one ford escort with a bda engine yes yeah 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 well, you've just said it. The BDA engine has a lot to do with it, I think. <laughs> um, no, that's right. And and even before, you know, it took a bit of a, a, a dip, I suppose. But in the last five or six years, it's just come back with a vengeance. And um, there's cars being built, obviously brand new cars now being built back to the period specification. Um, and they're unbelievably good fun. And there's massive crowds on the events and serious championships and actually Jason Pritchard, who I did British Championship here with in a Group N Subaru in 10 years ago, I guess, has won the British Historic Series for, I don't know, two or three times in the last three or four years in an Escort. Um, and it's just it's just massively popular. More so in Europe, as you say, um, whether the events follow some of the national world events or whether they just follow their own national championships. They're just hugely exciting. And and they were even at two-wheel drive. And now, the as, as it's kind of a rolling time period that the, the the older cars are allowed in now you've got things like you know four-wheel drive sierras and the group a legacy is now um now illegible so all these cars that you know come out of the woodwork and suddenly oh wow that's illegible for historic is that historic doesn't feel that old <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not feeling very historic yet come on <laughs> yeah i know and it's like you know it's it, the chances are in the next couple of years the the first of the impressors will be historic you know it's like how did that happen you know yeah i think the I, demand is part of that too is you know those are become so popular i think they're wanting to put more cars in those in that historic category to capitalize a bit and why not? Yeah, abs- you know? absolutely. And where do you where do you stop? The the obvious yeah. place to, to stop that is when when it became WRC in ninety seven. But even even the fa- the last of the Group A cars, I don't know. If it were me, I think I'd have the cutoff about where it is now, and and probably not allow the you know should a Group A escort Cosworth be involved in historic rallying? I mean, uh, you could argue it either way. But for me, it's probably a little bit too. Um, it's probably too advanced, really. Um, there aren't many of them as the factory cars, and if you want to copy one and recreate it, it's so much inv- work involved to get it back to its original specification. Um, I think it's probably gone away from what historic rallying is, really. Well, you've uh, been able to compete uh, all across the world at all kinds of different events. Uh, one of the other questions we kind of like to ask is, you know, 
seeing all these different roads, all these different places, do you have a favorite? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, here, here we go. I'll give you a favorite, but I'll give you a tarmac and a gravel favorite, if that's okay. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, only because it's so hard to choose one, and I think you can choose one of each. Certainly for for gravel, I've only done it once, uh, and I would do it again in a heartbeat, is Argentina. Um, mm. It's just so different. Uh, anyway, at the time, it was so different to anywhere else I'd been. Um, high up, you're, you're doing transits at 4 or 5 a.m. as the sun comes up over the Andes, climbing up into the mountains, middle of nowhere, and then dropping back down through these famous stages. Um, I think for me that was certainly a, a rally. Again, combined with the European-style fan base who are just completely nuts. Um, and a good party afterwards, I seem to remember. <laughs> From what you can remember, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is just as important. But um Indeed. For for tarmac for, for for gravel, I think it would be that, and for for tarmac, it's tough. But uh, I think Corsica actually, um, Corsica's point, or maybe the Isle of Man. Probably probably I'd mm-hmm. split it between the Isle of Man and Corsica. <laughs> Both quite similar actually, but different weather. Being being English, it's like the Manx is one of those. It's one of those names, isn't isn't it? That's like in British rally history. It's always been one of those great events. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it, you go once and you can't wait to go back, I think, is uh-huh. the is the way. And they've run so many different events there. And uh, over the years, we used to do two a year, a national sort of a national event and an international event. And, um, yeah, always always lots of stories, always fantastic roads. Um, and uh, just that island feeling, you know, where everyone's mm-hmm. kind of there to support the event that's happening at the time. Um and it's a it's a it's a motorsport mad place and yeah. if you're into it then if you're into it then you pay it a visit yeah it's great gosh you know we keep talking about history and and, and things in the past and and i apologize because you just have such a diverse <laughs> list of things yeah. you've got to do uh and it's all just so interesting because you know thinking of of manx men and whatnot would be you've got to co-drive for david's brother mark yeah that's true actually yeah uh, after all these years of competing in the same sort of sphere if you like as david i've never and then obviously much more closely over the last few years I've, I've never done an event with david but i have with mark we did a three or four events in china um god yeah we keep going backwards don't we it's yeah, 10 years no, ago now. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> it was cool it was cool the asia pacific round i think we we won a couple of the events we did together and one of them was an asia pacific round and actually it was a fantastic battle the whole rally with with patrick sandell um who of course is part of the subaru um team now in the us so it was um these things sort of come back around don't they but yeah we had a we had a great couple of events and that was a bit of a we talked earlier about jumping in at the deep end and that was a little bit filling a gap for a two or three events and it was like well we're going to win and that's that so i hope you're on the same page and and we were really but um i was younger then (laughs) (laughs) But he, yeah, Mark. Mark is as you'd expect. He's a as David. You know, they're both absolute professionals. Um, they know what they're doing, and they know it backwards, and they do it very, very well. And they don't often put a foot wrong, and um, and it shows. You know, indeed, it does. Uh, do you have a? I guess moving it back more towards the states. I guess. Uh, do you have a favorite event uh, here in the states or a favorite stage? Favorite stage? I'm not sure. I do. Um, favorite event? I can tell you the one. Well, I won't actually because we might have to race on them this year. I, I was going to say I'll tell you the ones I don't like, but <laughs> I, won't give up, 
ask me ask me in ask me in a year or two but um actually Ojibwe is a lot of fun um the roads are technical but fast there's a lot to do there's a lot of character change depending on which events they which stages they use sorry um and Olympus I guess because there's lots of pine trees and it's cloudy and rainy and it feels like home a little bit (laughs) (laughs) fair enough fair enough um but again the the roads the roads are great and whichever configuration they they choose it's it's always a it's always a cracking a cracking schedule um yeah uh, it's a long time since i've done 100 acre wood um but again the roads can be can be good fun and they're, they're all quite different each each event in the u.s has its own has its own character and you can describe them quite quite easily you know oregon is is what it is at the moment you know you know it's wide and open and fast and there's a couple of technical sections and, and slower stages but generally it has a rhythm to it that's very different to somewhere like Ojibwe or or even or even New England in a way um but yeah they're all they've all got their own their own category and I guess that's partly geographical yeah for sure but sounds like uh you really like being busy on the notes yeah it's always nice to have something to do and and to try try hard um no i i enjoy when there's a lot there's a lot going on and also the technical events during the recce you can have more of an input as a co-driver because you can bring you know there's more opportunities to to make improvements um it's difficult there's a couple of events even in the uk in forest that are straight and then 90 square left as we call it or 90 left and then straight and then 90 right and there's not much you can you can do there but when the corners are tightening or they're long or they're blind or they're linked together, there's more of an input you can have. And, and that's where I think experience of events or, or experience of rally in general can, can help. All right. Well, uh, as we kind of close things out, I know we've been talking to you for quite a while. Cause Sorry about that. Just, no, no, that's that's all on <laughs> no. me. And I, I, I love doing these uh, this long format of these podcasts because we can just get so much cool stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I was going to just t- touch on, uh, you know, working with Travis and, and again, seeing you this year. And like I said, he seems like he's always so flat out and whatnot. And uh, how do you rein someone like that in? Is he really just always just full-on flat out every time and you trying to pull him back or is he actually a little more stable that he's actually like <laughs> you know if if i think if you asked christian edstrom and me at the same time you'd get different answers um because i think christian probably had a tougher job than i do now um simply because you know as any up, up and coming rally driver and anyone that's any good at anything, they go hard at it and they try hard and they do whatever they can. And, and certainly in the early days, Travis had the reputation for, for not always making the end of every event. Um, I know David's pace notes sometimes had the odd Travis crash marked in them for various stages (laughs) around the, around the country. Um, he may not have been the only one, but yeah, he, certainly the last few years, I think things have, things have changed a bit and we've, you know, we've worked much more on um, strategy of events and where to go. He was always very good at that, but where we can go hard and where we're good at it. And we've got more data now. We've got more information of where we've been good historically and where we need to work on and areas that we need to work on. And some of those things were a little bit, I don't know if they were obvious, but they stuck out to me a little bit when I started working with him in terms of a couple of things in his pace notes that, that I thought we could we could work on. And I think in doing that, he's enabled it's enabled him to have confidence in what he's doing and that he doesn't have to push over the limit everywhere all the time he can drive on the limit knowing that 
the notes actually can be consistent and accurate and, and, and he knows what to expect. And of course you always have errors and you always have slip ups and things you could do better. But I think as an average, an average stage time or stage performance now is, is, is further forward than where it was say five, five or six years ago for, for him. Um, but you, you you're always learning and, and every every time you go out in the car you're you're getting better well, that's the idea anyway as soon as that changes it's time to stop <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's i i'm not i don't find myself pulling him back he's what he's very good at is knowing when to go absolutely maximum maximum attack and when you know 98 percent will do and and still that is going hard don't get me wrong but going the last little bit he's very good at deciding where that's going to be um but like anyone you know when there are other distractions and whether when your head's in the wrong place or whether you've had a, a tricky morning or a busy afternoon or something's not gone right or you know there's always times for both of us that you know you have to work together to to kind of to, to work through it and achieve that achieve that next goal be it a stage or a loop of stages or get to the end of this stage without destroying that tire because we need it again or whatever it might be and and I think um, every time you get in the car, you get better at that stuff. Seat time is everything. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, one of my favorites is, uh, for some reason, at Oregon Trail, the super specials that we do out here at Portland National Raceway, Travis <laughs> always nips David just by a little bit. <laughs> it frustrates the hell out of him. It's cra- yeah, <laughs> it cracks me up. It's uh, It goes back to that whole super special thing. It's uh, whether it's his background on bikes and whatever it is, I don't know, but he always seems to seems to pull it out of the bag on those super specials. And and the opposite is true on the very long stages. You could almost, you know, you could almost tell or you'd almost bet on a longer stage, maybe over 15 or 17 miles, David would, on average, win the stage, even if it was only by a few seconds or less than a few seconds. Um, and we didn't really have an answer for that. We couldn't really tell you why that was. But on super specials, he's, yeah, he, he manages to pull it out of the bag more often than not. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Robbie, thank you for taking so much time with us, uh, telling us all this backstory stuff, uh, uh, you know, looking forward to the new season here with you. Uh, I wanted to personally thank you for how you've, uh, as I became more of a media role with the series and how you've welcomed me, welcomed me in, uh, including uh, blinding me with lots of champagne one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you, you weren't seeing straight. I don't think that was me. <laughs> no it's it's uh it's it's great and enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm right so you know the more people that we, that we can get into to, to the game shouting about it and and being involved and interested in in what's come before and what comes in the future the better i think well i think uh you know once we weather with this uh current storm of the coronavirus and whatnot i think uh things are looking up uh, i think the interest is strong and I, I'm still very positive, I think, about the future of rallying uh, in the States. Uh, and, and I think the globally, I, you know, the way social media and all that stuff, I think, has really made a big impact on our sport, make, giving it more visibility. Um, and uh, I guess more of these kids playing rally games again, which is a draw for a lot of people, I think, to start following rally. Well, they're cooped up and they're having to play rally games. Maybe they'll want to come out to the stages. So, Yeah, uh, that's true. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but that's probably true. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, sir, again, thank you for your time. I uh, really, really appreciate it. And 
uh, like I said, I look forward to seeing you in the uh, co-driver's seat and uh, talking to you, uh, you know, at the end of a stage. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the moment, I guess we're we're unclear when that might be. But like you say, we'll we'll, we'll get through this this episode, this phase, and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll come out of it and uh, fairly soon. And, and, and plans will be put in place. But um, yeah, can't wait to to get back to it and, and work with the guys and uh, all all those things that come with it. Once again, we're sending our thoughts to all of our friends and family that are first responders, doctors, nurses, support staff, as well as those working in the food industry or what have you. Um, as Ian said earlier, um, if you have a local uh, restaurant or whatever that's doing to-go orders and you're still working and able to support them, please do so. Uh, trying to keep everybody uh, in business at, while we're under this lockdown, it's always a big help. Um, as always, remember, if you like what we're doing here, uh, make sure you give us a like, a follow, um, comments, and and ratings on itunes is huge really helps us out a lot so we appreciate that and if, even better tell a friend to listen too uh, you can tell your smart speaker to play the open paddock rally cast you can find us on all your major platforms uh, make sure you like subscribe all that stuff thank you for listening i'm your host mike shaw stay healthy and stay safe <laughs>